Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And if you're surprised that you're seeing the stream go live, yes, this is our new time um, to accommodate both of our busy lives and schedules. We're going to be doing the show on Thursday at the crack of dawn in the <laughs> West Coast and uh, a little bit later on the East Coast. It's about, what, 6 o'clock my time, 9 o'clock for Neil. And so I guess this is, um, you know, very similar to uh, when football players would be prepping for uh, doing good little on-field warm-ups and getting ready. So we wanted to make sure we are uh, just as connected. So we decided to do it very early. Hell no, no, we're just lying. Again, <laughs> it's scheduling. We're trying to work it out. Before we jump into the show, I want to let you know the show is available on all podcast platforms. I don't want to name them all. You know them all. So wherever you get your podcast, do a search for The New Standard and you will find the show. want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of the show, Assist to Score, Nothing But Bud Butter, Shop Supreme Queen, you, the UK London Pod. Check out those blokes. I don't know if I got it right. I don't know if that's the right uh, UK colloquialism, but I don't know. But I'm just impressed that I said colloquialism <laughs> this early in the morning. So uh, you the know, building. You Yes, we are building you. So you see how this, this show is going to go. Um, and also a big shout out to our fans, on, to our friends on Instagram, Steelers Landing, and also Great Dads versus everybody. Big up to those guys. What was the word I was trying to say, Neil, on the other show? I wanted to see if I said that right. Oh, boy. See if, uh, now Har I'm going to forget. Harbinger. Harbinger. Yeah, that's it. See, and I said it wrong, right? Yep. That, that time you did. Yes. Yes, yeah. Harbinger. Harbinger. See, Harbinger. See, I thought I was really. Uh, My frisky. daughter's learning about soft G's and hard G's, and that that is a <laughs> that is a soft G. And I was wrong, and, and I got it wrong. So that's being consistent. What's up, Big Wes? Uh, Wes Hickok, longtime fan of the program. So let's just jump right into it because we got to power through. We both got things to do this morning, so I still want to thank everybody for hopping into the program. So Neil, I know when we talked about the format of the show. I wanted to open up the floor to you to give a thought, um, a little post-game thought from the Steelers' first game with the Bills. So what was your thoughts on, on Steelers' first game and the performance against the Bills? What some of the things that you highlighted or lowlights, highlights? What's your thoughts? Where I landed with this was really how reminiscent the game felt to a lot of games last year in the sense that this was an offense that did absolutely nothing in the first half. Uh Whatever happened that they that they changed or didn't change, it worked a lot. It, they were much more successful in the second half, and they were able to put some yards together. They were able to hold on to the ball a little bit. Uh, the bulk of their possession came in the second half, and they got the, the scores that they needed to when they needed to do it. We're excited about that. That's great. Um, if you need a special team's touchdown to win week in and week out, you're not going to be a very successful team. Um, you're, you're encouraged by the things that you saw from one half to the other, but we've talked about this a bunch and I don't want to be that guy, but I, I had an off season of fans telling me how different it's going to be when Matt Canada is in charge. I I've been telling people up and down, this is a personnel issue. It's not a scheme issue. There are things that they can do schematically. Yes. They played against good defense. This offense though was pretty bad overall. The offensive line. Uh, I'm not right now. I'm not singling out any one person. They were collectively pretty bad. Um, they didn't protect well. They didn't run the ball well. They didn't pass the ball well. I don't think the receivers played especially well for, for the majority of this game, but they made the plays they needed to make. And that is what you need when you have a defense that played absolutely lights out. That's that's as good a week one defensive performance as we've seen from the Steelers. And I don't know how long but they were absolutely dominant. The edge performances that we saw from all three of them, from TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith, and Melvin Ingram, not to mention the probably, in my opinion, anyway, the best game Cameron Hayward's ever played. You put those things together, even a good offense, an explosive offense with a good quarterback and good receiver, uh, it, which is what the Bills had going into the game, they're not going to do particularly well, and they didn't. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, I felt, played an outstanding game. They got great games from Cam Sutton uh, as well as Fitz, Fitzpatrick. Their secondary played really well overall, I thought. They didn't have a whole lot of black eyes on defense, and they dealt out uh, far more than they received. Buffalo's offensive line, I don't know if you paid attention to their media and their fan base following the game, but 
they were ready to end their own lives over how badly their offensive line performed. <laughs> Mel Ingram, I think he drew three holding penalties, which is pretty rare. You don't see any any one tackle getting charged with holding that many times. They moved him around enough in which uh, it, it was an equal opportunity hold on him. He got pressure, it seemed, every time he was on the field. He was absolutely dominant. Uh, it, a lot of fun to watch that. Um, Punting the ball back to the other team was almost like a letdown. It's like, I want to see – punting the ball back to the Steelers, I mean, felt more like a letdown. I wanted to watch the defense play a little bit more uh, just for the sake of entertainment. They were they were lethal in the front seven. Um, we can expect probably a little bit of a drop-off from, from one week to another just because that's the nature of the NFL. But outstanding defensive performance. Offense has a long way to go. And really, Lance, that's exactly what we've been talking about all season long. So this game, this game, short of the fact that Buffalo didn't hit on uh, probably a couple of plays that I thought they would have, and they, they would have been able to, to probably put two more touchdowns on the board and coast to a win, I thought that's what was going to happen. The Steelers were able to stifle those plays. Allen missed badly on, on uh, Emmanuel Sanders' uh, seam route. He was wide open down yeah, the middle of the field. Open. That should have been a score. Um, Buffalo did not make the plays, and Pittsburgh did. That's why Pittsburgh won the game. Um not an overall great game for the Steelers, but a lot of fun to watch that defense. To your point about the offense, let me give you a couple of stats in terms of the passing offense. Ben only threw for 188 yards, and they only um, – I mean, that 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 that's pretty putrid. You're talking about a 5.9 yards per attempt, and net yards per attempt was 5.5. You're looking at a run offense where – the running back averaged 2.8 yards per carry, and that's Najee Harris. When you're talking about a game in which your longest run was from a wide receiver, offensively you struggled. Uh, so I agree with you. And when I took a look at the game, you know, I'm going to echo some of your points. I thought it was the weaponizing of Minka Fitzpatrick. I think we saw why Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be the highest-paid safety in the National Football League in addition to what he did last year. They used him in ways that we did not see. We talked about it on the program, that Morgan Burnett role, where he was sort of weaponized in the middle of the field as a dime linebacker. Um, Cameron Hayward is going to get arrested for assault. Uh, the law firm of Williams and Kulong will be representing Cameron Hayward very soon because if he continues to beat up off interior offensive linemen like that, he's going to get arrested for attempted murder. It was absolutely destructive. You can't say enough how much Cam Hayward dominated that game. You you cannot say that he was absolutely out of his mind. <laughs> that was <laughs> it was an absolute nightmare for the interior of Buffalo. Josh Allen probably is still thinking about it. That was a complete and total ass kicking. I mean, and and that's without to it, and that's and that's with the focus of the interior uh, offensive line blocking scheme concentrating on Cam. Um, he was just absolutely violent. In the words of Ja Rule, it's murder. And that's what he was bringing in that game. Other highlights that I thought, Mel Ingram, I'm going to already say it right now. And it might be a little hyperbolic. It's fine. It's early. Um, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade to Bud <laughs> Dupree. He's a better player than Bud Dupree. Flat I, out. Flat I think out. that that's, that's a reasonably fair statement, except we have to include the fact that Mel Ingram – was not just set off the edge the way Dupree does. Dupree was asked true, to do true. a lot more in the defense than Ingram was. Um, at the same time, though, I don't think last year a whole lot of people would have said flat out, Bud Dupree is a better pass rusher than Melvin Ingram is. I, I don't think that was ever no. true anyway. The Steelers, though, and we talked about this a bunch this offseason, Lance, going into this, Mel Ingram is versatile. He was used all over. They, they stunted him up the middle. They brought him around the edge. He attacked every gap there was on the defensive line. That's what I hoped that they were going to use him for. And it, it's, it's in a way, it's historic for the Steelers because they never went three deep like this. When I say three deep, that doesn't mean three guys that could play. Okay, yes. I mean they used all three of them. They have not done that with their outside linebackers in I don't know how long. We anticipated them doing it, but the, the amount – of snaps that Ingram got and the specialized plan that they had for him. We have not seen that. This is a team that, that did their homework this offseason that put together a, a great strategy of how they were going to use not just their front seven, but their secondary as well. And they, they put all of that together with lethal results 
at the end of this. This is a, it, it's a better defense personnel wise than it was a year ago, which it should have been considering the upgrades that they made. But I, I think their strategy stepped up. They were it, it's it's a hodgepodge of what they're doing in the secondary. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. Uh, they coached it very well. They were prepared. Um, we'll again, we'll see. We'll see how long that can hold up. But they they did a phenomenal job. Keith Butler should take a bow after that game. He did a phenomenal job. Mike Tomlin as well, setting all of that up. And it, it, we could probably spend the entire show talking about three or four individuals that really stood out. But everybody had a role in it. It, it was purely a team effort on the defensive side of the ball. Well, don't set me off, Neil, where I can jump into some of my pet peeves and I'll get to those at the end of the show because you said something. Yeah, we, we saw it. Yeah, the, the NFL is making it very difficult for you to see it. And, and I'll <laughs> jump into that at the end of uh at the end of the show. And I and I blame partially fans, um, sites, all types of stuff, but we'll get into that. Another thing that jumped out to me was uh Cam Sutton. I thought Cam Sutton was very good in the game. Um He's versatile. His versatility showed off. Great point by you about the coaching staff being able to get guys acclimated and ready because, I mean, you look at, at all the different rookies that played in this game on all three phases, and they look very organized. They, were, uh, lo- they weren't penalized much in the game. I think they had five penalties, which is different for a Tomlin team very early in the season. They look much better coached and way more coordinated in the first game. So that's kudos to the coaching staff. I wanted to point out one particular play that might have been lost on fans as you watch the game. And this is another um, big ups to Minka Fitzpatrick. The tackle that Minka Fitzpatrick made on the third and three play to set up the fourth and one play was an awesome play. You know, he's filling that gap and making that tackle and that run fit from about, I'd say, 12 to 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. Full speed, breaks down, makes the tackle. Excellent play. Sets up the next play uh, for the fourth and one, which in turn sets up the block. I believe the block was after that. No, that was just a turnover on downs. Yeah, the, the fourth up. and one that, that that set up was Cam Sutton making the play in the backfield. With Cam Sutton the, making the, the play, yes. Quarterback sneak thing that, that Buffalo tried. I'm not really sure why. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know let, let's was. let's touch on that, Lance. I, I I wanted to make this point as well. What is so great about the scheme that that Pittsburgh put together? was Brian Dable, who is, by all accounts, a a head coach in the NFL, an excellent scheme guy, very smart offensive guy. He counted for four quarters on the Steelers selling out to stop the run. Why? Because that's what the Steelers always do. In two highly leveraged situations, he counted on run support coming from the Steelers, and he tried to fake them out. One, the flea flicker that, you know, by all accounts, was just kind of a normal flea flicker. I wouldn't say it was a, a great fake. But he counted on Minka Fitzpatrick crashing down from his high safety spot uh, in, in an attempt to defend the run. In doing that, Diggs was going to have two-thirds of the field open to his right, the offensive right. He could have easily posted on Sutton where he was if Fitzpatrick was not back there. Fitzpatrick read it. He stayed with Diggs the entire He cut off that inside route. The only thing that the Bills had left was to have Diggs basically bend to his out right where Sutton was to try to make a play from there. Play was already destroyed at that point. I understand that Sutton came from behind and knocked the ball away. Allen wasn't even trying to compete that pass, okay? He lobbed it at Diggs's feet because that's the only place the cornerback was not going to be able to get to it. They gave up on that play because Minka didn't bite. Steelers safeties are all about run support, except Minka Fitzpatrick. He's too smart. He saw that play. He communicated to Sutton what was going on in real time, and they they matched it perfectly. They 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 snuffed that out in in a leverage situation for the Bills. Dable counted on the Steelers biting for that. They didn't. Second one being the the fourth and one play. They are assuming the edges are going to crash because Josh Allen is going to watch the play back again. Allen couldn't have shown more that he was going to run the ball. It was like the the most exaggerated fake I've ever seen. He sat there and it was just like, I'm showing you I'm going to run, okay? Now everyone's in position. I'm going to turn around and throw the ball at my running back. Sutton didn't buy any of it. Sutton was right there the entire time. He was disciplined. He he stayed within his his assignment, which was the running back in that case, and he came in and made a play. They had a lead lead blocker in front of him as well, and he still came in and made the play for like a four-yard loss. So you're, you're talking about 
a, a, a disciplined secondary that the opposing coach counted on them not being in, in highly leveraged situations. That's key. Those were key downs. In a game that you can't score, you have to win those games, those downs on defense. And the Steelers did. They responded to what was supposed to be a, a, a leveraged situation for the opponent. They, they stood up and did the work that they needed to do. You're, you're really excited about that if you're watching it, saying, you can't fool us. We stayed right on top of this. We have smart players. We've coached them well. You can't trick us. We know what we're doing. The last um, big ups to Minka Fitzpatrick was I didn't know that Minka was that good of a slot defender. He really defended uh, Cole Beasley really well in the slot. I was really impressed by that. And, you know, I, I was just – I mean, I was impressed that they they trusted him to do that because we had not seen that, and that's something that we've been calling on uh, our fans – have been wondering when Minka would be turned loose in this fashion. But my last point from that game, and then we're going to jump to the breakdown of the game against the Las Vegas Raiders, which is so weird to say. <laughs> the offense, to your point, is lost. And I don't want to say too much about that because I want to use that one point as a segue to my to my next point and how we're going to frame games. And I want to thank uh, my football sensei, the one who shall not be named. I want to thank my football sensei for this really simple quote. And I think this really describes the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. And it's what we're going to be using as our mantra to break down these games. And it's simply, what do we do good that they do bad? When you think of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, I'm confused. I don't know what they do good. <laughs> because it was such a scatter shot, it felt it didn't felt it felt unrhythmic. It felt really weird. I, I, I it was hard trying to discern what they were trying to do. What was the plan? What were they? It just felt like they were just trying to piece it together as they went. So, with that being said, what do we do good that they do bad? We, in this case, being the Steelers, they being the Raiders. What's your thought going into this game with that simple statement and mantra in your head? And how do you think the game plan for the Pittsburgh Steelers from the offensive side of football will shake out in this matchup against the LV Raiders? I, I think it, I think it's going to have to start with flipping that around. What are the Raiders looking at? What do they do well on defense that Pittsburgh doesn't? They rush the passer pretty well. And Pittsburgh, I don't think, is going to be able to protect the passer very well. So, um, I, you know, it, it, it was it was certainly fun um, to, to poke, you know, poke and jab at, at Alejandro Villanueva on Monday night. He got absolutely worked by by Max Crosby. Max Crosby, I think, is, is a good player. Uh, he put up a defensive player of the week level performance on Villanueva. Villanueva looked awful many times during that game. Like they, they have significant concerns in, in Baltimore. If that's the level of uh, uh, protection they're going to get from their right side. I don't think that that level is all that much higher in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and to, to your point, Lance, that you had made earlier, um, or maybe this was in the show notes. It was, sorry. Um, Crosby is going to move around. He's not just going to be in one spot, but your protection isn't going to change. So it, is it Crosby? Is it what they're doing? Is it the protection? These are all things Pittsburgh's going to have to address and have to answer. And I, I think to that degree, um, Oakland is going to come after them hard. And because of that, Pittsburgh is going to have to double down. And Najee Harris is going to have to be a factor in this game. They're going to have to get the tight ends involved more than they did. They're going to have to play wide football. And I think that is something they can do. I just don't think it was the plan against Buffalo. So Najee Harris um, taking play action, running through the A-gap and turning around to get a pass and being in the wrong spot like we saw twice against Oakland or against Buffalo, I, I don't think that's the case. I think they're going to set up screens. They're going to get him to the outside because Pittsburgh had a lot of success doing that. Now, granted, it wasn't through traditional means. They ran an end around. They had a, a, a slip screen uh, earlier in the game. The big play that you referenced earlier was really um, a, a very creative jet sweep motion that uh, uh, Friermuth, he cut into the tackle and then came back out and got locked into Tredavious White, the cornerback, in the open field. And Fry put him basically through the, the third row of the, of the bleachers. They're able to play like that 
to some degree, they're going to have to do that against Oakland because they are going to have to get Crosby out of the idea that he can just pin his ears back and rush. I think that's really what they wanted to do uh, against the Ravens. The Steelers are going to see that first and foremost. That was clearly their biggest asset in that game. Pittsburgh is going to play wider, and I think they have the athletes to be able to do that. It's going to be a short uh, control-based offense in this game, and they should have a, a pretty good feeling and confidence with it. They, they can get the ball in space to the wide side of the field and try to make plays. They can neutralize um, Josh Abrams, their, their, their big uh, safety, the tack, really the, the force of their entire defense. They're able to get him in space and have to make him make him make plays athletically. I'm not sure he's going to be uh, all that consistent in that. But the the main weapon in my mind in this game is going to be Harris. They're going to get him the ball uh, in in the passing game more than they did. And and I think some of the downplay that he had in this game was just due to you know it's a rookie, it's his first game. There are some issues that he and Ben had. He, uh, they weren't on the same page in a couple plays. They're going to fix those things and they're going to make it very very simple for Harris this weekend. And they're going to get him the ball in space and try to get him to, to break a tackle or two and, and make something happen. Yeah, I was concerned when I looked at that Raider game. Um, and Dockway as well um, is an athletic end. That, that And they rush with speed, seven technique, you know, playing outside the tight end, wide nine, playing even further outside when the tight end is out there and there's another gap. Um, excuse me, tech, seven technique outside the tackle, uh, nine technique outside that tight end playing a wide nine and um yeah i'm concerned i'm concerned with the steeler tackles and thinking of that mantra what we do good that they do bad and i love the way that you flipped it and i think it's also you can flip it either way what do we do bad that they do good and i think you can clearly see in this game and we'll get to both to, to the defensive side of football it's 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 pressure both teams it, it, it's pressure whose pressure is going to win and how much is your ability to get to the quarterback going to eliminate some of the things that you do well, thus making you try to attack it differently. Like you're talking about going to the wide side of the field, because I think when you look at the Raiders defensive ends within Dockway and Crosby, I think they have an advantage in their ability to get to the passer. So what has got that, what is that going to do and how is that going to manifest? You know, there were some plays where Chucks or Chooks and Dan Moore both struggled in pass protection so it's going to be interesting because you're right Crosby was the AFC defensive player of the week and the one thing that you saw with both of their defensive ends high motor high twitch very fast speed rush guys which is going to be interesting um what do you think right now and to the phrase what do we do good that they do bad is there something that the Steelers do well is it too early to tell if there's anything that they do well. Because when I'm looking at it, I think the Steelers' best personnel unit on the offensive side of football is their wide receiver core. Given your concerns and my concerns with their ability to protect the passer, how do they utilize that? Other than you know playing wide, going to the boundaries, do you think they'll have the ability to get upfield um, in the passing game and attack vertically? I here's the thing. And again, that this is going to get us back to the, the, the three-year-old argument in regards to Randy Fickner versus Matt Canada versus what, what the Steelers are planning on doing on offense. It's a personnel issue. It is not a play calling issue. They're calling shorter passes because they can't protect deep passes. They're going to try, but it, it's not something they can count on. Um, they're, they're hoping to catch a defense off guard or Ben is just making the decision because he's got Claypool locked in single coverage, that's when they're going to go deep. You're not going to see them trying a whole lot of that because their, their quarterback is largely stationary in the pocket. And I understand he made a huge run at, on a key drive at the end of the game. You can't count on that every time. If Ben sees pressure, he's not going to try to escape. He's going to stay in there and make the throw. Um, knowing that they're going to have to manufacture um, opportunities. And the best way to do that is to get the ball short in space to your playmakers. And that is, as you mentioned, the wide receivers. Deontay Johnson is, is slippery. He's hard to bring down in the open field if they can get him the ball in space. Teams know that this is what they're going to do. They're going to worry about a guy like Claypool, a guy like Washington down the field. Juju can run deep stuff. Johnson can run deep stuff. But they're going to keep those guys in front of them. And a lot of that is going to be when they move, you need to get after them and, and get, be prepared to tackle the catch. 
uh, Johnson had it, it, it. The play didn't work out this way, but Johnson had a, a really nice double move that knocked the defender down. He was wide open on on what would have been a deep route um, it, it, at one point in the game. They're capable of doing double moves and those kinds of things, but they're going to have to get the ball as as an extension of their run game to their playmakers in space. And that really is Johnson. It's Juju. It's it's Claypool. To your point, I think yes, as a unit, that's the most talented that they have. But as individuals. Um, I, I, I'm not seeing from Harris right now enough to say we can get this guy the ball and he's going to take over the game for us. I think you can do that with their receivers. I don't think that's Harris right now. They're going to run to, to some degree to help kind of set up the, the pass more or less, <clears throat> you know, that, that that's the way that they kind of approach it. I'm not a big fan of that. I think they need Harris's best asset is going to be drawing in defenses from being in the backfield. If he can get out of the backfield and make plays one-on-one in space, that's his best asset. That's the best asset of an NFL team today for, as far as a running back is concerned. They need to get him in, in more advantageous situations. They're going to hand the ball off. You know, you don't go a game without running the ball at all. They're going to hand the ball off, but it, it, that's not where he's going to make his most damage. And the, the, the best part of that is it's going to help freeze that middle to back level of the defense and help set up double moves, help set up, uh, you know, more, as they would say, trickeration, trying to figure out how they can get uh, a, a, a longer pass with more protection uh, from the pocket. To do that, you need your tight ends in. They need to chip off the edge, which they're going to have to do. And you need your running back to step up and, and, and play protection as well. I don't know how much of that they're able to do. Well, I don't think we really saw you know, much of a reason on Sunday to think that they can do that consistently. So it, it's it's a week of work for them, for sure. It's a week of work for every NFL team. The biggest thing, it, it, the biggest difference you're going to see in a team uh, in the NFL is the difference between where they were in week one versus week two. You never play a worse opponent in week two than you did in week one. They're always better. You're always going to improve. Right, right, right. So it, it's, you have to keep that in mind. So in, in a way, it's another start. It's another new start to the season. Preseason week five is over. You've got to get into the real thing now. The Steelers have to be able to establish Najee Harris as as a weapon, but your receivers are ultimately going to be the guys making the plays. Can they set the receivers up for success? That's really the main thing, I think, for this game for them. I love how you said that uh, week five of the preseason is over. And that, that, that's a great way to describe the first game. So from what you said, and I think what we've seen, or what we're saying and what you said about the issues with protection, do you see a lot of 12 personnel in this game? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. The reason I say that is I it, it, it's really kind of up in the air what they're going to do with it. I, I definitely think there's going to be the same amount of variation that they had. Um, to say there's a lot of 12. Two tight ends. Yeah. To, to, to say there's a lot of two tight end sets on the field for the Steelers, I think, undermines the, the weapons that they do have. Again, I agree. Uh, top to bottom, I you know, Pat Fryermuth is turning me around in some ways. I'll give you that. The tight ends that they have are not better than their receivers. So taking a receiver off the field to put in another tight end is a more shorter uh, run focused offense. You have to be able to run the ball out of 12. You have to. Otherwise, there's no point. You're putting a guy in line, in traffic, who can't explode off the line the way the receivers can. You're not benefiting yourself unless you can sell that you're going to run the ball. If you can't run the ball, they don't care if you go in 12. It doesn't matter. It's not going to make a difference. So I, I don't want to say that they are going to run more. I think they're going to use more from those sets, though. It's not just going to be let's bunch on one side and throw to the underneath guy with some blockers out front. They're going to have those looks because that's their offense. They kind of have to do that. When they get in 12, they need to be able to run the ball. And that means the dudes on the edges need to block. And that is a combination on one side of Eric Ebron and uh, Dan Moore and Pat Fryermuth and uh, Chuck Sikorfor. Are you able to get the kind of hole and spacing that you need with those combinations on your edges? That's really going to be the value to the 12 personnel for them. Um, I don't where we sit. I don't know if they can do that. They haven't shown us that they can at, at an outstanding level. doesn't mean that they can't. We just haven't seen enough of it yet. So to me, I, I don't think that that's going to be a focal point simply because it, it, it wasn't. I think Buffalo is a team they could have done that with. You want to get away from Tredavious White, one of the best cornerbacks, one of the best defenders in the game. They didn't do that a whole lot. It, it was a good amount, but not like a ton. So I balance variation 
that's the key to what Matt Canada did in, in week one. They ran a lot of different stuff with a lot of different personnel. So I, I would stick with that, but they've, they've got to find a fastball here at some point. They've got to find something that they can run very well. 55 plays run in a game is not good. I was going <laughs> to okay. talk about that. So, I gonna, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that. And, let, and let, let's pivot before we pivot to the defensive side of football. When we're talking about sustainable ways to win, having a team run, I believe it was 20 more plays, have the ball maybe seven to eight more minutes, running 50-some-odd plays in a game. I mean, when a team runs 20 additional plays to a game, that's almost like an extra quarter of football that you're playing. Uh, that's not sustainable. What do drives look like in this game? Um like what's the drive length that looks good? Of course, as Steeler fans, we would love, you know, one play drive, you throw a bomb to Claypool, you score every single time. But when you're averaging, I think they average roughly about 4.6, 4.7, somewhere around there uh, <laughs> yards per play. I mean, what's wow. the ideal drive look like? Is it, you know, a nice blend of uh, running pass, maybe six, seven yards, convert a couple of first downs, have the ball some minutes. Even if you don't score, at least you're not putting the defense back on the field to play excessive snaps. Because when I watched that game against the Bills, I thought the defense was just going to give up a play because they were just playing too much football. At some yeah. point in time, they were going to give up something. They were going to find something. They were going to be tired, gassed, first game. Rush wouldn't sustain itself. You give up something. And they're, they're playing in the NFL, you know, and they're playing this, in the NFL. Yeah. this is a completions league. This is designed for offense. You don't want your defense on the field because they're going to get beat eventually. And the, the converse of that is true as well. The longer you have the ball, the more likely you are to score that that's NFL football. They've designed it to, to be played like that. As far as them getting tired or whatever, that that's, that's, you know, neither here nor there. That that's specific to a to a team. I don't think there's necessarily a trend to that. Except if if you are consistently running seven minute drives, you're scoring points. It's really hard to have a drive where you hold the ball for seven minutes and you're in a punting situation. I would say this though: yeah, in those situations, possible. you are probably punting inside the ten. You're able to do that yeah. if your special teams can execute it. So that is big for the Steelers' plan this year. If you don't have an offense, you better have a special teams. You better be able to pin teams deep and win the field position battle because you you need to make the offense do things the, the hard way. You have to make them go 93 yards. You have to, to get every opportunity that you can to take the ball back. You have to set up long downs. You have to sack the quarterback or at least cause pressure. You have to take the ball away. That's why the Steelers won the game. Defense played great, but they caused turnovers because you know what? Buffalo's defense played pretty damn well, too. 250 yards they gave up. They didn't make plays. The Steelers did. That's why they won the game. The NFL today is about splash plays. And that's about it. If you need seven, seven minutes to drive, great. But at some point, you got to make a big play. Every scoring drive they had, the Steelers had, they made a big play. Claypool, great catch on the sideline. He had that run down to like the five off of, of a, a great scheme and great blocking. They set up their points with, with splash plays. You need to be able to do that. Buffalo had their opportunities and didn't. That's why they lost the game. And I, I guarantee you Sean McDermott would say the same thing today. So it, it, against Oakland, it's the same type of thing. Oakland, Oakland got turnovers. They got takeaways against Baltimore. They're not a better team than Baltimore is. Baltimore didn't play particularly well. They didn't protect well. And their quarterback gave the ball away. Ben didn't. The best value that Ben had in that game was he didn't turn the ball over. So if they are able to protect the ball, maintain possession, and get points, you know, it, it, that's, that's as simple as it gets, but that's how that's a winning formula. You know, you, but you need to be able to make the plays to stretch the chains. You need to be able to show versatility to keep a defense off balance. You do all that. You put all that together. You're going to have a successful offense. Steelers didn't do a ton of that, but they're going to have to figure out how they can. Yeah, and let 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 let's let's keep the secret about Ben Roethlisberger tucked a little bit because um, uh, you know what we saw was was very interesting. Let's just keep it like that. But we talked a lot about twelve personnel, and I think that's a great way to transition to the Steelers' defense versus the Raiders' offense. And the way using the mantra, "What do we do good that they do bad?" And the one thing we know that they do good. They target Darren Waller. He got 19 targets in the game. The one thing that we know that the Steelers do very well is get pressure. 
And I think very similarly to what we talked about, you know, from the Raider defense versus the Steelers offense is this issue of getting pressure. When you when you're talking Ingram, Cam and Watt and Hightower, they can get pressure. I think what stood out in that game against uh, the Ravens for the Raiders was Leatherwood is not good. Their their offensive tackles are average at best. They look very much like the Steelers. And I, I think the gold star matchup in this game will be, you know, how will the Steelers be able to get consistent pressure on the Raiders? I mean, I think it's that simple. And how does that impact how the Steelers, from a coverage perspective, will deal with Darren Waller? Because I think Mike Tomlin, in his comments, and in in, in, I think it was his Tuesday or Wednesday comments. I can't remember what day. It's so early and it's Thursday. Uh, 19 targets is the number. When you target somebody 19 times, if that player is decent, they're going to get, you know, and, and it was interesting in Baltimore because Humphreys did an excellent job, I thought, on Waller in the, in, in the times that he played him. He They limited him to 10 catches. But, he's, but when you get 19 targets, you're going to probably get 10 to 11 to 12 catches. Yeah, so, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna catch. They're they're gonna have twelve completions in the game. I mean, if yeah, if it's one guy, if it's four guys, whatever it is. Yeah. But you, you're targeting a guy literally more than twice as often as any other player in the game. It, Nineteen targets. He better have ten catches for a tight end. He had ten catches. He averaged ten and a half a catch. And Baltimore did a pretty good job. Yes. Uh, holding him in. I think that's a volume day for him. Um, one catch, 24 yards was as long. So nine catches for, what are we talking here, 81 yards? Goes down even more after that. He wasn't an, an effective playmaker in this game. He was a volume producer. Yeah, and sometimes absolutely. you need that. Absolutely. So I think in this game, when you look at it, if you're the Steelers, I think you see their advantage and their ability to get pressure. And I think you see not necessarily what the Steelers do bad, but they do envision Waller as an issue, as the primary issue. How do you think both of those things shake out? If you're looking at the end of this game and you're looking at a stat sheet, what does it look like from a pressure perspective? How many of the sacks do the Steelers get? How do you think they'll scheme up that pressure? And how do you think from a coverage perspective the Steelers will deal with Waller? I'll say this. I'll bet money right now what we are talking about at or around 4.30 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday is the typical consternation from Steelers fans over how they didn't cover a tight end. Again, Baltimore gave Baltimore allowed 19 targets and 10 catches to this guy. Did Darren Waller rip them up? I don't think so, but that's what everyone's going to look at because fans view things from the lens of fantasy football doesn't make a difference. Vegas scored 33 points. They had a plus two turnover margin and they targeted basically the same player every drive. I don't think they're going to be able to get away with that against Pittsburgh. First off, um, they're going to have to find production from other players on the field. They're going to have to be able to try to get the ball elsewhere. I don't know how good Derek Carr is at that. I don't know how good he is at making multiple reads, keeping plays alive, and, and getting stuff off schedule. He, I, I saw him staring down his receivers pretty much the entire game. I, I was surprised Baltimore didn't have more takeaways than they did. Um, Waller is an all-pro level player. He's really good, okay? Simply just covering the guy doesn't work. He, he, he makes plays wherever he is on the field. Baltimore did a great job limiting him which is really what Pittsburgh is going to have to do. Make somebody else take you out. And frankly, look at look at what Stephon Diggs did. Stephon Diggs, got, he didn't get 19 targets, but he was targeted plenty often. They didn't give him anything. He didn't have breakaway plays, really. Um, nice play on the touchdown under great uh, pressure um, on Josh Allen. There was great coverage by Cam Sutton on the play. Diggs made a nice catch. Waller's going to do that. He's going to make plays because he's, he's a good player. So it, it's more about what that does to the, the the overall scope of their offense. How does he dictate terms to the defense? How are they having to take him out of the game? If they put two guys on him, is he still having some success with that? Those are the kinds of things I think we're going to be discussing uh, following this game. What their stat sheet, I don't know. I mean, 19 targets to a tight end is insane. <laughs> That's happened like yeah, that, three times yeah. in the last decade. So yeah, that, um, that. 
they didn't run the ball particularly well. They're not a, a dynamic offense. They, they've done everything they could possibly do to try to get Henry Ruggs involved. He's not the kind of guy that right now um, is, is making consistent plays, but he is a deep threat. He's a great athlete. He's great in space. I think that they're going to try to diversify it a little bit more. We'll see if Hunter Renfro is able to go. I know he was banged up a bit uh, following the game. He's just as good a slot receiver, in my opinion, as, as uh Colvin Beasley is, and they, they were able to, to shut Beasley down a little bit. Um, we'll see. I mean, they, they have some guys that, that uh, they're going to have to be concerned with a little bit, but it's not a great offense. Pittsburgh should be able to land. They should be able to get pressure. I agree with you. Alex Leatherwood is not good. He didn't look good. He's in for the beating of his life. Um, they, I, I think Pittsburgh is going to come after him, land air and see, and they're going to get a, a good amount of pressure on a quarterback who doesn't play all that well in pressure. <clears throat> Um, it, it, I think Buffalo has more explosive ability offensively. A lot of that is because of their quarterback. You're playing a lesser quarterback with lesser uh, playmaking ability outside the pocket. They don't have to really kind of lock him in the way that they did. I think that was a lot of the dime defense with safeties in the box uh, that they ran last week. But I, I think they can mirror some of that in, in an effort to lock up the tight end on the inside and still land pressure on the quarterback. Um I, I think they're going to beat him up. I, I think this is going to be a pretty dominant game again for the Steelers defense, but that doesn't mean that Darren Waller is not going to have eight catches for 120 yards. You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me. He's that kind of player and they are committed to getting him the ball that much. I mean, this is, you know, they threw the ball 54 times, 19 of them went to Waller. Uh, they're going to get him the ball. So it, it, is he going to have volume stats? Yeah, probably. Um, is he going to make, is he going to impact the game? consistently drive in and drive out. I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's able to do that against this defense. And the way they utilize him, they utilize him in line. They use, they utilize him as a boundary X. They utilize him in bunches. So I think what that suggests is everybody's going to get a shot at trying to cover him. If you're Keith Butler, who do you think that they will target on your defense or who do you think the Steelers feel comfortable with or, or, or most comfortable from a coverage perspective, or will it be a lot of matchup? You know, what, what do you think their overall general plan will be in, in trying to deal with Waller? I think they played a, a, a team coverage scheme last week. It, it so happened that certain guys were in certain spots at certain times, but they're not going to let the offense dictate where their players are defensively. Everybody always says, well, just match up this guy and follow him around the field. When you do that, you are allowing the offense to, to put a guy in motion and dictate what your defense then does to respond to that. You don't want to do that pre-snap. It reveals everything to the quarterback of what you're doing. It, shadowing receivers it, you have to have a high-level dude, and they have to have one guy on, on the other side of the ball to really make that make sense. Waller, is he's a good player for sure. Pittsburgh doesn't need to do that against this offense. They have balance all over the field. Conversely, putting Waller in the matchup that you want against the player tells the defense exactly what you're doing. That's the uber-strong formation. Here's Waller. We know that this is what they're doing. They can communicate. The defense can communicate and, and adjust however it is that they need based on where Waller is on the field. You'd rather have that as a defense. What you don't want is to show Derek Carr, this is what we're doing and leave it wide open on the other side of the field. You can use Waller to suck your coverage totally away from where you want to go. It, it, that's not an ideal situation. So it's, it's not going to be something in which one guy is taking Waller, but they are going to bracket him. They're going to cover him high and low, which is what they did with Diggs. Um, a, a linebacker, slot defender, whoever in, this, in inside handling him up front and somebody over the top to handle the angles, cutting in and out, going down the seam, whatever it is, they're going to put more than enough attention on the guy. Um, I don't think they need to put three on him. I don't think they need to mirror him. I, I, I just think they need to try to, to stop him coming out and be able to cover uh, the, the in and out routes. And from there, you know, you're also putting your tight end in a, a pattern, which lessens typically your, your protection. Mike Tomlin, as we've talked about in this show, has no problem with um, any offense telling him, we're going to race you, our quarterback to our receiver versus your pass rusher to our quarterback. Tomlin will take that bet. 
He has Absolutely. no problem with that. And Absolutely. we saw several times Josh Allen, who's one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the game, had approximately 1.8 seconds to get rid of the ball after he received it. He wasn't able to finish his drop. I don't think Oakland's offensive line is any better. I think we saw that. We should have seen that a lot more, I think, Monday night against Baltimore. If they want to put Waller down the seam, they're going to need to protect for four seconds. I don't think they're able to do that against this defense. And I don't think Carr handles pressure well enough to think that's a good bet. So it, it's not so much coverage in this. I think it's going to be pressure. I think it's going to be getting to uh, Carr and, and making him make a decision to get the ball down the field. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I don't think their running game is good enough for the Steelers to probably be worried about. I think the Steelers will feel like they can handle their running game with just basic set of numbers in the front seven that they won't have to account or, or add a safety in the box to drop a safety or any extra run support in that way. So I think this is going to be a coverage pass rush game. And again, to the mantra of what do we do good that they do bad, I think the Steelers go into every game thinking we can get pressure. And our ability to get pressure is going to dictate what you can do. If we can get pressure consistently, get hurries, get pressures, and speed you up, it's going to eliminate a good portion of what your plan was anyway because you can't block. And, you know, the essential thing with all of this is if you can't block it, you can't do it. And so I, I think the Steelers and Mike Tomlin will go, look, man, we've got a rookie right tackle. Uh we're, we're going to get after this guy. Their tackles are bad. Cameron Hayward is a grown-ass man. We can get pressure. And we've got Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end. And we've got good, decent coverage options uh, with Bush, Schobert, Sutton. We've got some different options here where we can mix and match some different things and keep things in front, tackle it. But I think the issue in this game, and we're going to get into predictions, Neil, is, is not the Steelers' defense. I feel like with this, eventually with this foursome that they'll have, uh, this quartet of of, of Tewitt, Hayward, uh, Ingram, and Watt, that you know they're going to get pressure consistently every single game. There's not going to be a game in which I think they don't get pressure. I think this is still going to be a season where they extend their sack streak, where they get sacks and pressure every week. This season... And I don't want to take too much from it because it's game one. This is going to boil down to the offensive side of football. And uh, it's going to be the same in this game. And I think in every game, it's going to be what can the offense string together and do and perform well consistently. So with that being said, Neil, it's brass tax time. Give me your predictions. I think Pittsburgh is going to win this game. And a large part of that is due to the fact that and this is something we didn't get into. Barring injury pittsburgh tends to dominate their home opener uh, we, we've seen plenty of times their biggest offensive outpouring in a season is their home opener uh, i i think this is going to be similar i think they got a good draw in that regard this year um playing at buffalo in week one is pretty bad your home opener against vegas i think is is kind of a, an, an amends to that so I, I like their chances offensively to make some plays. Um, they're going to be jacked up, ready to go. I, I think they're going to win. Um, that said, because I, I am going to at least 40% ignore my basic instinct here uh, in, in making picks because I did it last week for, for the same wrong reasons. I think it'll be tight. I think it's going to be a competitive game. I'm thinking Pittsburgh 27, Vegas 24, something like that. Um, we'll see big plays, but I think, Vegas will put a couple drives on him, which which are going to frustrate us. Waller will make the plays. I just said he wasn't going to make because I said he wasn't going to make them. Therefore, he will. So I, I think uh, Pittsburgh is going to win. I think we're going to see a good output from their offense. Uh, and they'll they'll move to two and zero on the season. When I'm looking at this game again, I think it's all about what the offense is going to do or not do. Uh, I, I think the Steelers are going to have some success defensively. Um, I, I think they'll really be able to get after the Raiders from a pressure perspective. I'm just very uncertain as to what this offense is, what this offense is going to do. And I'm just, it, it, it's tough. I think the way this offense is playing right now, I, I think every game is going to be competitive because, because I just don't know what they're going to string together from an offensive perspective, but because the Raiders 
the LV Raiders. That's the only way I can remember to say them because <laughs> I've watched them in Oakland and in L.A. Uh, I think the Vegas Raiders traveling east will be tough. Uh, the Steelers typically play very well on home openers. And this is the type of game which I think which will be close, won't be close. So I think the Steelers will dominate this football game and win largely because I think it's defense in this pass rush will get some turnovers, cause some turnovers to happen. This is a game where I could see Ingram and Watt both coming away with sacks. I could see strip sack fumble, that type stuff happening. I could see Derek Carr getting quickened uh, and sped up in the game and making some mistakes. I think the Steelers win. I think it's close early, but I like the Steelers to win pretty comfortably. I don't know what the spread is. I'm going to give a score of, uh, let's say, 27 to 17. I think the Steelers dominate this game um, and really get after the Raiders and get to 2-0. Before we get out of here, what you got going on? What should uh, fans and listeners of the program look forward to from the Wire Network? Absolutely. Look forward to our podcast in post-game environment, which uh, hopefully is something that we can um, get locked down for this week. I think that should be good to go. But, um, yeah, just check it out. Um, word is we're going to have a commenting feature start up here pretty quick. I'm not sure if Steelers is going to be one of the first sites that we roll that out with. But uh, soon enough, we'll have that, and we're hoping to be able to get people in to interact and uh, talk Steelers football. Well, thank you, Straight Ace. Uh, typically, uh, Steelers fans get nervous when I pick the Steelers to win, and typically it's the reverse. I have a slip rock effect. Uh, it Typically, Steelers fans want me to pick the Steelers to lose because when I pick them to lose, they typically win like last week. But, you know, this is going to be an interesting season. But before we get out of here, let me give you some of my pet peeves. <laughs> and that the is... The airing of grievances. And that is with the NFL. And I need to check. But the NFL Game Pass is a product that a lot of people like myself... Um, I don't know if you get it, Neil. I'll share mine with you. Oops, I didn't say that. Uh, it provides the all-22 look. And so, you know, from the camera angle that you get on TV, it's really hard to see what's going on on the field from a coverage perspective and whatever's happening. You can't see the routes develop, so on and so forth. And now that the NFL has compounded the fact that they're not putting coaches tape up, or at least they haven't thus far, I need to check today. They've confounded that problem with the fact that everybody wears every type of number. So you can't just quickly look at the, the TV shot, which is shows you very little, and look at the numbers and figure out who's who. It's really hard to tell. So it's really hard to see what the hell is going on. So I blame the NFL and NFL Game Pass for not providing coaches tape. So that so I'm mad at the NFL. That's one of my – and my other thing I'm mad at is the reason why I think the NFL did it is because a ton of sites take the content put the content on their sites and I don't even know if they can do that. If, I, I don't know. I mean, like, and so I think what the NFL has done, this is me guessing is that they've cut that off. They're like, I'm tired of random sites all over the world using our content to monetize. So I'm, I'm just upset with the NFL game pass product. I mean, I need it because I can watch other teams play that the Steelers are going to play. But, man, the product is not as good as it used to be because they are not showing the all-22. So it is not new and improved. It is old and worse. Yeah, it. it <laughs> I'm in a tough spot because most of what you just said is directed at what I do. <laughs> um but I'll say this. You're affiliated with you're affiliated with USA Today. I mean, I'm affiliated sense. with USA Today, but I am not a rights holder. That's what this is about. It, it's the fact that you have independent chowderheads in social media that cut this stuff up, act like they're some type of analyst, and claim that they're working in sports. This, this is what yes. they, that, that's the whole that's the buzz phrase nowadays. I work in sports, like you probably really don't. Okay. If you're posting stuff to Twitter and that's your, your primary output of anything, you're not working in sports. You're working for Twitter. The NFL is noticing and has for 
a, over a decade. I was with SB Nation when they cracked down on us for, for using GIFs. Um, you're not allowed to just cut up their product and post it wherever you want. That's never been allowed. Okay. It has always been a, a copyright violation. The question is, does the NFL want to pursue it over bigger companies that are using it in a brazen fashion? They're using it in a way that embarrasses their product. They're going to do something about that. Under law, the idea is it's supposed to be used in some type of educational manner, which is to say you are showing uh, an audience of people a playbook kind of cut up of a play. This is what happened. This is how they got to their end result. You have to show it like that. If you're saying, hey, look at how stupid this guy is. He fell down. Ha, ha, ha. They're not going to like that. And there's a lot more of that now than there was because it's a lot easier to clip their film. And the NFL is giving it to them for $20 a month or whatever it is on the all 22. On top of that, you've got a, a sea of uh, uh, under the table, kind of under the table is the wrong word, secret deals, deals the public doesn't know about. Places like Pro Football Focus, they have arrangements with every team in the NFL. I know I, I'm glad, Lance, we didn't get into this because Steeler Nation is, is melting down over the PFF grades from, from week one. Their access, what they're given, is meant to, to funnel their resources, their evaluations to the teams, not to the public. So right. you, you have to worry about that. What does Pro Football Focus say? Well, give us the access, but you're giving it to everybody. You know, they're ripping all this stuff up. We're trying to do this, but we have no way to stand out as an individual. ESPN pays millions upon millions of dollars to produce pregame shows and postgame shows before and after Monday Night Football. If the highlights are being posted by everybody during the game, nobody is really going to want to watch the, the postgame show. They're putting a lot of money into that. They have to have those highlights in an exclusive manner. So I am not at all surprised that there are problems with it right now. Yes. I, I think it's completely yes. intentional and it's a response to the fact that the NFL has never had a problem figuring out how to have its cake and eat it too. Never had an issue doing that and they're doing it now. They're going to charge you for it. They're just not going to let you use it in the way that violates their, their copyright without having to make it a legal issue. They don't have to issue right. cease and desist letters. They don't have to follow up on any of that stuff. All they need to do is just limit your ability to use it and steal it, frankly. You're, you're not paying for a license to post exactly. all that stuff. There's one idiot in, in Steeler Nation, and you can tell this guy is like 22 years old because he has absolutely no clue. He's screaming at Twitter for suspending his account for basically doing nothing but posting GIFs of plays and trying to break them down in, in a very non-educational way. And he's all upset about that because he thinks it's his right to do that. No, <laughs> it's absolutely not your right to do it. You don't get to use their content for anything without their permission. Anything. Does not matter if their logo is in it. It does not matter if you give them credit. It doesn't right. matter if you're doing it in a way that you think is representative of what they want. That is not copyright, okay? Just, the fact that you haven't been caught to this point doesn't mean that you haven't been violating the law the entire time, okay? Yes. There are ways around that that I'm not gonna yes. get into here, but you can't just clip it and think that you're fine to do that because you want to do it. It's their product, not yours. You cannot yeah. make money or brand awareness or esteem or anything off of their product without their express written permission. That's law. Whether or not they do something about it is another story. <laughs> but don't think they're not in bed with Twitter. Why do you think Twitter had the rights to, to Thursday night games? Yes. And the NFL understands the vast majority of their stolen product goes to Twitter. Twitter has to enforce that. So the NFL can leverage Twitter to say, hey, we don't want to come after them because we, we spend $800 an hour minimum on our in-house counsel to go after all these small people. We want you to search and destroy all these gifts from people that we don't like and suspend right. their accounts because they're violating our copyright. We are going to insist to you now because they're putting our product on your platform that you do something about it. That's all this is. And so cutting off you. cutting off at all 22 is really a response to all the people out there who cut stuff up and, and think that there's no problem with it. It's the, this is being used courtesy of the NFL. The NFL didn't give you permission to do that. 
Yes, Curtis, courtesy of them, yes, you're stealing and acknowledging. <laughs> That's all you're doing. Yes, yeah, so. it, it's they're they're going to do something about that. <laughs> so you can you can get away with it until you can't. It, let's put it that yeah, way. Eventually, so you. something's going to happen with that. So thank you, uh, amateur analyst that's stealing stuff and made it bad for me, who's not doing stealing stuff and doing it the right way. But with that, that's our rant to close the show. Steelers, we both predict to win, which means who knows what will happen. But we'll see you on Sunday for a post game around 430 on the West Coast time. But with that, we're going to conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.